awesome. Uh, I should take a second and say, um, wow, like, Spirit of God is here today in um, a special way, and, uh, you know, I think that um, we, we, we sometimes don't give credit enough to this moment on Sunday mornings, um, that when we, when we gather, special things happen. I just got to crush on my kids a little bit here for a second, too. Um, you know, my two boys uh, are up here a lot. Credit to Carmel for that. Um, but what people don't realize is they're like, well, of course they're up there. You're the pastor. You're like making them do this. I have never once told my two boys, you got to go up there and play music. Both of them worked last night, Dairy Queen and Raising Canes, which is, yeah, right? Yeah. They didn't get home till 11, 11.30. They were up at 6.30, here practicing, ready to go. So, look, I, I take very little credit for that, okay? Uh, but I think it's just a proof of the Spirit of God working in our kids' lives, uh, even when we don't notice it. And so, guys, I'm proud of you. You guys are awesome. You guys are amazing. So, all right, enough of that. You don't care about my kids. Whatever. The other day, uh, I was having coffee with a friend. And I was sitting in this patio. It was a beautiful day. And it was pretty, you know, covered patio. And I sat down on the chair, and I realized that there was shade everywhere except for right where I was sitting. <laughs> Have you ever had that moment where you're like, how did I pick this seat right now? And uh, it didn't seem to matter what I did, you know. And as you've noticed, uh, things are getting, the temperature is starting to rise here in Arizona. And so even though it was morning, it was still a little uncomfortable to sit there. And I was trying to, like, you know, like just sort of like quietly make my way, you know, to the shade, but it, I wasn't having it, and I just, I got stuck. I was stuck there right in the sun, and so as dwe desert dwellers, uh, we are in constant lookout for good shade, especially as the heat and the temperature rises. Last year, we put up solar structures in the parking lot, and good luck trying to find a parking spot in the heat of the day underneath one of those. You will park miles from the entrance of a store, won't you, if you can find shade in the parking lot. We'll do anything to get into the shade in the desert. It's swing by a baseball complex on a Saturday morning in the heat of summer, and you will see the most creatively constructed canopies you've ever seen in your life. Canopies of all sorts of colors and shapes and sizes clung together with bungee cords and rope so that the parents can sit underneath and just, you know, give themselves a little bit of relief from the sun as their kids play in the blazing heat. It is uh, something my wife and I have spent hours and hours and hours doing uh, on a Saturday morning. We Phoenicians, we know the value and the relief of good shade on a hot summer day. In the shadows of trees and structures can be a lifesaver when the heat is at its hottest. And as I was reading this text for today, I realized that, believe it or not, the very first church in the first century in Jerusalem understood the relief in the shade as well. We're going to get to that in a second. So welcome to those of you who are maybe here for the first time or you're going to spend here a couple weeks. We are continuing in a series that we've been doing on and off for this year uh, in the book of Acts. And uh, we've been in this series for a while, and we're diving back into it again. So if you haven't done so already, open up your, your phone and go to the YouVersion app and follow along with everything we're going to read. Go to More and Events, and then find Genesis Church. You'll be able to follow along with the passage. And if you don't have that app, get it. It is a great, great 
resources. Now, if you're new to the book of Acts, if you're like, I'm not really even sure what you're talking about, let me just explain real quick. In the first books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the writers describe the life of Jesus. They describe his life, his death, and his resurrection. He then appears to his first believers, those first followers, those first disciples. The Bible also refers to them, and he tells them, look, I'm resurrected. I get that. I'm back to life. I've defeated sin and death, but I'm going to heaven to be with the Father, and I'm leaving you with the keys to the kingdom. It's your turn now to go and continue to do what I've been doing since I got here. And he also tells them that this helper will be sent to them that, that will help guide and give them strength to do the work he's calling them to. This helper we refer to as the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts then is the story of how these first believers, you know, Jesus has ascended into heaven and they're given the keys to the kingdom and they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and they begin to spark of the beginnings of what we now call the church. Though they didn't call it that then. They didn't even know what to call it then. Uh, Paul refers to it later in the book of Acts as the way. It's one thing Jesus said. He was like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's a common place. They didn't even have the word church yet, right? And other than Jesus telling them to be their, his witnesses in the world and receiving the Holy Spirit, these very first followers in the book of Acts had very little guidance. There were no, you know, there weren't shelves of books somewhere explaining how to talk to people about Jesus. There were no church strategy books or inspirational devotionals for them. In fact, there wasn't even a book of Acts. They were writing it as they lived. But somehow, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they were creating waves in first century Jerusalem, drawn to the story of Jesus and the promise that exists in him. Tens of thousands of Jews are placing their faith in Jesus despite the lack of guidance and direction many of these first followers have. And so as we pick up the story in Acts chapter 5, we're going to get a picture of some of the momentum of the church in its infancy and what's happening as a result. So starting at verse 12, here's where we're going to pick up the story. It says this, The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colony, also referred to as Solomon's Porch. Okay? Now, this is a common theme throughout the book of Acts. The first leaders of the church, known as the apostles, are performing miracles, and they're teaching with an authority most had never heard or seen before. And in addition, one of the rhythms of this early group of followers, this early church, is that they established this, deci this decision to gather together regularly, kind of like what we're doing right now. And so Luke, who happens to be the author of Acts, is very specific, though, about way, where they are gathering. It's a place referred to as Solomon's Colonnade. The temple in the first century, um, in first century Jerusalem wasn't just a singular building. It was more like a, 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 like a college campus, if you can imagine. The temple itself existed within the middle, but then around it were all of these different places for people to gather and go and worship and do different, uh, you know, different things, different disciplines within the Jewish law. Some of those areas were 
significant in that they, they only allowed certain people to be there. Men could only go in certain places. Women could only go in certain places. Gentiles, those who weren't Jewish, could only go in certain places. But there was one place where anybody could go, and that was Solomon's colonnade, the porch. Anybody could go there. It was this outdoor area that anybody could gather. There was no restrictions to it. Gentile, Jew, it didn't matter. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that it was commonplace for those first worshiper, those first followers to worship together in the temple, right? So they go and they would worship in the temple, but then afterwards they would gather together again at Solomon's colonnade to teach about Jesus specifically and perform miracles. It's interesting. The colonnade, this porch, this, this foyer area was located on the eastern side of the temple. It was also one of the shadiest areas. The final and largest worship time during the day was 3 p.m., which meant that by the time the worship service was over in the temple, Solomon's colonnade would be fully covered in the shade of God's house. And it was there that they gathered. It was there that they gathered anybody who wanted to come and hear about Jesus. It was there that people heard about the person and the work of Jesus for the very first time, and it was there in the shadow of the temple that relief was brought to those who were hurting and broken. Verse 13, it says, But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. So here's the thing. Always the case some people are drawn to the happenings of this new community, the church, and some people, they keep their distance. It seems a little far off. They had high regard for them. A lot is happening. People are being healed. They just, more of an arm's length. But other people, it says, are gathering with them by the thousands. Crowds of people are flocking to the shadows of the temple to place their faith in Jesus. Isn't it interesting that God's greatest work at this time isn't happening in the temple. The temple was considered the place where God resides. This is where people go to meet with God, to experience forgiveness, to give relief to their hurting souls. It was believed it was only in the temple that people could experience any sense of new life, and yet because of Jesus, God's rule and reign no longer is relegated to one place. It's everywhere, even in the shadows of his own house. You know, it's like searching for the shade and the shadows during a Phoenix summer. People are finding relief and forgiveness and new life in the shadow of God's house. And this brings droves of people to the church at Solomon's Colonnade. And interestingly, this is something that God has spoken about for a long time. In the Psalms, God references the healing and comfort that comes under his shadow. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the what? Shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. Psalm 63, 7 says, Because you're my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. In the book of Hosea, God gives his exiled people 
a promise. They've been overtaken by the empire of the Assyrians. They've been scattered all over the Assyrian empire. And they're losing hope, and they aren't sure what will come next for them. And into that dark situation, God gives them this promise. Hosea 14, 7, my people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. The shadow cast by God on the lives of his people has always brought healing in ways unexpected. And as thousands gather in the shadow of God's house, the temple, that promise brings on new life. His promise remains true in many unexpected ways. But then Luke points to something that is maybe even more miraculous than what we're seeing happen in Solomon's colonnade. And it's something that ought to give us pause and consider what this means for our own lives. Look what he says next, verse 15. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them when he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Let me just read that one part again. Sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. So many people are arriving at Solomon's colonnade to hear about Jesus and experience the power of the Holy Spirit and healing in their lives that it says that they're starting to line them up on the streets outside of the shade of the temple, right? And then Luke tells us that as they are lined up, they do so so that Peter's shadow might come across some of them as he went by. And then the implication here is that as his shadow goes across them, they too are being healed. They're experiencing relief. Now look, this is really unusual. The Bible doesn't indicate this sort of healing power anywhere else that I know of. And yet Luke is telling us this detail because it shows something very important about what happens when a person takes refuge under the shade of their God. When somebody lives in the shadows of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, something miraculous begins to happen. Peter, listen, Peter. Peter has been taking refuge and seeking rest in the shadow of Jesus for years at this point. He was with Jesus in the first days of his ministry on earth. He was one of the first followers to be called by Jesus to come and follow him, which, by the way, some people ask what this means. That's the word Jesus used, akalutheo, follow, when he says to Peter. Peter goes and he follows him, and he begins to live this new life with Jesus. He was with Jesus as he performed miracles and taught with authority in the very house under which they're now standing in the shadow of, in the temple. He was with Jesus as he fed thousands on a hillside, and he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. He was with Jesus when Jesus was arrested. He watched as Jesus was beaten, tortured, put to death on a cross, and he was with Jesus after his resurrection. Peter has lived in the shadow of Jesus to the point that now the text tells us his shadow, Peter's shadow, 
now has the same healing and relieving properties as the shadow of Jesus. Because of Peter's faith and consistency in taking refuge in the shadow of Jesus, his shadow now is casting influence in the world and bringing healing to those by simply being in their presence. Are you getting this now? Is the Spirit tapping on your heart and mind? There is a direct correlation between Peter's relationship with Jesus and the influence his shadow, his presence is having on others. Which makes me wonder, is your shadow bringing healing and relief to those in your world? Are you resting and basking in the shadow of Jesus to the point that your shadow is now having an influence in the lives of others? I don't know about you, but wherever my shadow falls, it's my hope that it brings healing and relief and new life. The the, the thought of my shadow bringing hurt and pain and destruction, it causes this visceral reaction in me. I do not want that to be the case. And it's Jesus' hope that we, like those first believers, would rest in God's shadow, like we're doing this morning, taking refuge in Him and His Spirit, gathering together to hear about who He is and what He has done, what He's calling us to, spending time with Him one-on-one each day, getting together in smaller groups to experience His grace regularly. And it's Jesus' hope that our shadows would bring healing and relief and new life to the people in our lives because of the time that we have spent in the shadow of our God. There's a story of a a saint. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a great story, uh, fictional though it may be, of a saint who was seen as this upright, honest, and considerate man. And an angel came to him and he said, you know, you've lived an exemplary life showing kindness and compassion to everyone. And so God has sent me to grant you uh, any wish you may desire. And the saint did not hesitate, and he said, my greatest desire is that whenever my shadow falls behind me as I walk, may whatever it falls on be blessed. What if that was our greatest desire? What if we became a people whose shadows had such influence in the world that people would flock to hang out in the shadow of Jesus with us? Here's what I want you to walk away with more than anything else today. Your shadow can bring new life in your world. In the same way that Peter's shadow was bringing new life and relief to the people as he walked by and his shadow was cast upon them, your shadow, your presence in your world can bring new life to any situation. Now, of course, if that's true, then the opposite must be true as well, right? That your shadow could bring new life, but it could also bring destruction in your world. But here's the thing. Spend time basking in the shade of Jesus' love and grace and mercy, and like Peter, your shadow, where you walk and where you work and where you eat and where you play, will bring new life to others. 
the healing properties you experience from resting in the shadow of Jesus are influential in your world as well. Your shadow has the power to invite people to rest in the shadow of Jesus with you. You know, as I walked around this week and I was just really kind of blown away by this passage, I I kept asking myself two questions. And these are two questions that I want you to ask yourself as well in the coming days and weeks. And the first question I had to ask myself is, where is my shadow falling these days? I mean, you, you have been given a specific sphere of influence, if you will, in your family immediately and, and, and extended, in your hobbies, in your work, in your school with your friends. And your shadow is falling on them whether you like it or not. It's happening. And so it's good to know, where is my shadow falling these days? Because I think it's easy to go through life forgetting the kind of influence we can actually have in the world. I think we often assume we have very little influence. But the Bible indicates that we have the capacity for far greater influence than we may believe or get credit for. And so being aware of where your shadow falls will allow you to be aware of where Jesus is leading you to bring new life. These are the areas where my shadow falls the most. And God is saying, those are the areas where I want you to have influence. You know, I think of the young mother at home with toddlers, crying babies, and sleepless nights. I think God is saying, this is where your shadow falls. You bring healing and new life to these young ones. As you walk into your workplace and you gather with your team or with your other peers, God is saying, Look, this is where your shadow rests. And when you bask in the shadow of me and my presence, I then give you influence in that world. Those healing properties that you've experienced those now translate into the world that you walk and work and play and eat in. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is a miracle. Because in and of ourselves, by default, as sinful human natures, what do our shadows bring? Not life, but destruction. And yet because by simply sitting in the presence of our Savior and our Lord, like Peter did for years. It says that your shadow now brings those same healing properties to the world around you. The second question I want you to ask yourself is, is your shadow bringing new life or destruction in your world? In your workplace, your school, your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, is your shadow, is your presence bringing new life to those areas of influence or is it bringing destruction? You know, I got to admit, I didn't want to ask myself this question. <laughs> I didn't because it caused me to stop in my tracks as I considered the ways my shadow, my presence can often bring new life but also bring destruction. And I wish I could say that my shadow is bringing new life exclusively, like that's all it ever does. But alas, it's not. Now, there's a lot of grace for that, fortunately, but I, like you, want to grow and I want to change as well. I want my shadow to bring the power of the Holy Spirit and its healing and relief in the same way it did for Peter. So ask yourself that question and answer honestly. Is your shadow bringing new life or destruction in your world? 
how you answer that may cue you in on what your next step is. You know, it's my hope that these two questions are brought to mind in the coming days and weeks for you, and as they do, that you would be reminded that as we find refuge in God's shadow, we're given a shadow that brings newness to the world. In other words, if you want your shadow, if you want your influence to bring new life in this world, it starts with you being in the presence of Jesus on a regular, consistent basis. If you don't, the opposite is very true. You know, at its worst, it'll be destructive, and even at its best, it'll be just nothing. You cannot do this on your own. You need the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is they who empower our shadows to bring hope and healing and new life in the world. So this morning, if you're sick and tired of your shadow bringing hurt and destruction to your life and to the life of others, I just want to invite you to stand in the shadow of Jesus. Maybe for the first time. Like those who came to Solomon's colonnade in Acts chapter 5, they found hope and healing and new life in the presence of God and in the shadow of his own house. And this morning, that rest and relief exists to all of us again. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, maybe one of my favorite verses in all the scriptures. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry hairy burdens, heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, come and rest in my shadow and I will give you the rest you need. It's an open invitation to anyone and everyone. No strings attached. All you have to do is receive and accept. I'll say it again. Your shadow can bring new life in this world. And if there's one thing that this world needs more than anything else, it is the new life that comes in and through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to be a place, Genesis Church, who casts shadows of hope and healing and new life in our world. And it begins right here among us. It begins by taking time to be here on a Sunday morning and to get together with others throughout the week and to open our Bibles daily so that we might live in the shadow of Jesus and that as we go into the world, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our grocery stores, in our gyms, doing our hobbies, with our friends, with our family, that our shadow would not bring destruction, but instead would bring new life into every corner of this world. Thank you, Renee. Appreciate that. The rest of you got to wake up. Let's go. No, listen. All right. I don't know. This, to me, is maybe one of the most inspiring passages and acts that we've hit so far. That when your life is changed by the person of Jesus, that, that you now have this same healing, revealing, influential power that he had. It's why our vision statement exists to say, change lives, changing lives. And we believe that when your life is changed, when you hang out in the shadow of Jesus, and when you go into the world, that same power that changed you exists even in your presence. This is the power that Peter is exhibiting for us and why Luke includes this in his book. So my question to you is this, will you join me 
in resting in the shadow of Jesus so that we might cast a shadow of new life in our world. Will you join me in that? Let's pray. God, I'm just in awe of the story of these first followers. You know, sometimes even as a pastor, I get confused about like, what should we be doing? How should we do it? How do we do this? How do we do that? And these young men and women were just, they were just doing it. Not even realizing the power of the story that they were writing as they trusted you and basked in your shadow and allowed your power to fuel their lives. And so this morning, like they did, gathered in the shadow of the temple, we gather in your shadow and ask you, God, that you would fill us with the spirit that as we leave this place, the life that we have experienced that has been changed would bring power and redeeming qualities and healing properties to the world that we live in. That in and through us, flawed though we may be, that as our shadow is cast on the people and places in our lives, new life would be brought into them. I'm just so grateful, God, that you have called us to this. The reality is you could have just done it yourself. You could have just said, you know what? You guys are a mess. I'm just going to do it myself. But so, because of your love, you decided, listen, I want you to play a part in this. I want you uniquely created as you have been in the places that you go to be part of the kingdom construction that I am building. And for that, I'm so grateful. God, may our shadows cast new life into our world. May as we walk by those who are hurting and in need, God, may we stop and allow our influence, fueled by you, to bring relief and hurt, or excuse me, healing to their hurting. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.